0: delight to be with you folks today. Um, I've I've just been amazed as I've come here this morning to notice how different this room feels when there are people in it than when it's empty. And that's just a reminder to us that the church is the people of God. It's not a building. And thank you for being who you are and for uh, your desire to walk with Jesus I'm Steve Anderson. I'm from Owatonna, Minnesota, and uh, my wife Harriet and I have uh, been here, as you've heard, to consider becoming uh, your interim lead pastor, and we've had such a great weekend with uh, your staff and your elders, they've done a great job of welcoming us, and uh, we're all asking the question, is it God's will for us to walk together during this interim time until we find your next um, settled pastor? Do my spiritual gifts align with your needs? And we're asking a bunch of questions, but I just want to say thank you to the board and the staff for welcoming us so, uh, so wonderfully. Um, It's been great, and you've treated us well. Um, Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, keep those in front of you, and maybe take your sermon note sheet on the back of your bulletin. Uh, There's some things you might want to write down so you can remember them today. And uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we are here to hear from you. Um, The words of a preacher only have significance and meaning if they draw us close to you. And so I ask, Lord God, that you would speak today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that what is just human thoughts would be burned away and what is of your precious Holy Spirit, burn it indelibly upon our hearts. We are your children, we are your people, and we are waiting to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen. Have you ever met somebody famous? My, my best friend has met literally dozens of people, and he has great stories of meeting celebrities and, and notable people, uh, uh, Jim Morrison in the 60s met him. Senator John Kerry, oh yeah, met him. Walter Mondale, met him. Jessica Lang, Iron Mike Tyson, met him. Puff Daddy Sean P. Diddy Combs, <laughs> met him in an elevator in Minneapolis. It's kind of a funny story. He um, was on the elevator and came up to a floor and this flashy dressed entourage gets on the elevator and uh, he goes, what's going on in this place? And Uh, Combs said, I'm Puff Daddy, and this is my family. To which my friend responded, well, I'm a daddy too. (laughs) Famous actors, sports figures, interesting people. He's met lots. I have uh, um, a wonderful memory of being with him in a restaurant in Minneapolis, and a guy walks behind us, and my friend stands up and introduces himself, and then turns and says to me, Um, actually to, to the other guy, I'd like you to meet my pastor. Pastor Steve, this is Chuck Swindoll. Story after story he can tell about famous people he's met. I've got only one story, and it's almost embarrassing. I was in the airport in Denver, Colorado a number of years back in a gift shop, and in came this tall, dark man followed by his tall, pretty wife and their tall, lovely daughter. He was dressed all in black. And all three of them were dressed in black except the wife's long brown coat. I recognized him and I wanted to go over and meet him and to tell him how much I appreciated his work on behalf of teens and adults who have been addicted to drugs. So I stepped up and I said, pardon me, aren't you Johnny Carter? (laughs) And he said, young man, the name is Johnny Cash. And this is my wife, June Carter Cash. Was I starstruck or what, huh? But we'd all like to say we've met somebody famous. In fact, the saying goes, it's not what you know, it's who you know that counts. And we kind of resent that when it's talking about social or job advancement. But let me tell you, that's really true when it comes to your spiritual life. Lots of people are really impressed that they know a lot. But whether it's knowing a lot of Bible or knowing philosophy or theology, it doesn't count for much actually actually, because you can know a lot and say enough, but living it is an entirely different matter. Knowing it gives you no power to live it. For that, it's who you know that counts. Do you know Jesus? Do you have Him living in your life? Only He has the power, and only He can give you the power to live what you claim to know. I once heard a Christian leader that I respect say, most of us Christians are educated way beyond our obedience. We know more than we live. And that's true, isn't it? We are educated beyond our obedience. And I want to tell you that it's only in knowing Jesus and doing life in fellowship with Him that you will ever have power to live what you say you know and believe. And that was true for the Apostle Paul. He's quite bold about it. Paul is, listen to these wonderful words, 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul would tell us that the defining moment in his life, the changing moment in his life, was when he encountered Jesus. Remember the story, Acts chapter 9. Saul, this radical Jewish Christian hater was on his way to throw believers into prison and he was stopped cold, knocked off his horse, blinded by an overpowering light. And hearing that dramatic voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Who's asking? Who wants to know? Well, I'm Jesus, the one you are oppressing. Jesus, you're dead. It can't be. Or is he more? Paul says, you'll never understand me until you understand that I met Jesus. And in spite of what it looks like, this was not some rude, angry, vindictive confrontation with Christ. No, Jesus loved me, loved me enough to interrupt my life and put me on a path that would thrill me and move me and propel me and guide me. I met Jesus. And in this loving interruption of Jesus... My direction, my meaning has been radically shifted and radically changed. The love of Christ compels me. And actually, Paul takes two Greek words and kind of jams them together and creates a whole new concept, sunecho soon the greek word for with echo the greek word for hold and what a difficult concept this is to translate the love of jesus holds me together but more it moves me and motivates me and drives me forward that's what my life is about says paul i'm at jesus and since knowing jesus it's the love of christ that holds me and moves me and shapes me and drives me it's not some idea or philosophy or theology or belief system it's not some goal or motive that gives my life purpose it's not some job or trite recreation it's not even human relationships family or marriage all too often those are the things that we look to to hold our lives together but for Paul it's a love of Christ it's living loved by Jesus Shaped and moved by that love. Verse 14, he tells us that what Jesus' love is all about it's love demonstrated at a real event, the cross and the empty tomb. Notice, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And this love of Jesus was was not just some vague emotion, some sweet feeling. The love of Christ was firmly anchored in the historical event of the cross and resurrection, the commitment, costly love of Jesus that was a genuinely, concretely expressed love that captured Paul's attention and captured Paul's life. Jesus Christ's love, Paul says, puts my life together. It integrates my whole life. Nothing else could account for what I've become and what I am, says Paul. And I'm so taken by Jesus' love that it is who I am and what I'm becoming. It's what other people see when they look at me. And it's made all the difference in the world. Jesus loves me and that changes everything. It had this huge impact First, it transformed his view of himself. Verse 14, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. Two powerful and significant ways this love has changed Paul's view of himself. First, he sees that he is loved and forgiven. Loved and forgiven. Jesus died for me. Not just for the sins of the whole world. Who can even understand that? The sins of the whole world. Who could even wrap their brain around that? The sins of the whole world. That's true. But Paul says He died for me. He died for each individual one. He died in my place and your place. He died for me. So I know that He loves me. I can't begin to tell you or explain to you what it does when that truth comes steamrolling into your heart. I've seen people so burdened by guilt and so full of self-hatred, so ashamed, but I've seen them instantly set free when they get it. Jesus loves me so much that those nails were for my wrongs. His blood works for my mistakes. He really loves me. Years ago now, two o'clock in the morning, my phone rang and on the other end was a young man sobbing uncontrollably. And I wondered what had happened. Did his mother die? Did he lose his job? Was Was he in jail? What was going on? And so I said, settle down, Dan. Tell me what happened. Oh, Pastor Steve, I'm so sorry to call you at this hour, he said. But I had to tell someone. I just realized that Jesus died for me and I can't contain it I feel so free for the first time in my life here's a young man who was raised in a great church under great teaching but who finally understood that it was for him you know I'd spent hours with Dan listening as he told me how fearful and anxious and burdened he was living in constant fear of what he didn't know but this anxiety was so consuming he regularly talked about ending his life life was so pointless and so filled with menace misery until he grasped that the cross wasn't just for everybody it was for dan where's dan today this young man who couldn't find relief, who couldn't find any meaning in life. Today, he's pastoring a great, wonderful church down in southeastern Iowa after passing a great historic church in Wichita, Kansas. He's helping other people see that what Jesus did was not just for everyone, that's true, but it's for you and you and you and you. He loves you that much. It radically transforms your sense of self when you know that you mean that much to God. What would it mean to know that someone loves you so much that they'd step in front of a bullet for you? Listen, the Creator God in Jesus Christ took a bullet for you. There's something more here not only individually loved and forgiven, when Jesus died, He died for me, but when He died, I died. The old me is gone. That old life of selfishness and self-assertion and self-will and self-centeredness, that life was literally put to death on the cross with Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the grave, I came alive to a new life. No longer living for self, but living for Jesus, serving him dead to self and alive now for Jesus. But secondly, notice the love of Christ. Jesus' love for Paul corrects Paul's evaluation of others. Listen to it. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. It's not very hard to see how the world looks at people. The world judges them by Social status or physical appearance or talent or smarts or wealth or race. Have you ever noticed, though, that people who have a healthy sense of self, who know who they are, don't need to judge and criticize and gossip and slander others? Have you noticed that? People who know who they are treat other people with respect especially if you've discovered that you are loved and valued by Jesus, you see, the, you see the human point of view sees people as objects to be used, stepping stones for self-advancement. Wow, if you ever needed proof of that, just look at Tiger Woods. This week, they're saying that He's back to full form, and he's sixth on the leaderboard today and could win the BMW championship today. The FedEx Cup is coming soon, and he's readying for that. But remember 10 years ago? The world was just brutal with that car wreck and the disclosure of his infidelity. For the news shows, he was the scandal of the month. Did he fall far enough? Was he ashamed enough? Did he confess enough? Did he stay on the sidelines long enough? Will fans make him pay enough? Wow. You see, to the world, even Tiger Woods is just someone to be used. I can look better if he looks bad. And many of those who were piling on had done that bad and worse but Paul says being loved by Jesus gives me a new way to look at people. I see their pain and their struggle. I see the hopelessness of their bondage. But I see something more. I see what they might become if if Jesus captured their life. And so I pray for that, and I hope for that, and I work for that. I like to call that seeing with Jesus' eyes. Seeing the possibilities Jesus sees. What could they become if their lives too were put together and held together by Jesus? And so my words to them and about them are to uplift them and help them and encourage them and to draw them close to Jesus. And when you see people that way and value people that way, I want to tell you it's like the power of the kingdom gets released here on earth and through your life and in those relationships. I've seen churches that were cursed with gossip and bitterness and competition and jealousy, cursed with church politics and power plays where believers threatened each other and resented each other and where people had to be handled with kid gloves Because all they could see was through human eyes. But I've seen those relationships marvelously transformed when they began to see each other with Jesus' eyes. What would it change if you saw that irritating board member through Jesus' eyes? Have you thought about that? What would it change in you if you saw your boss or fellow worker through Jesus' eyes? What difference would it make if you saw that irritating next-door neighbor with Jesus' eyes or your husband or your wife or your child? How would it change the way you speak about them or how you talk to them? And how you seek to bless them and offer help to them. If you would let yourself be moved by the love of Christ. And you saw the possibilities that Jesus sees. Your relationships would change. Here's our third point. Christ's love transformed Paul's view of himself. It corrected his evaluation of others. And here's the sweetest thing of all I think. It shaped his reason for living. Verse 18, all of this is from God. Notice how clear Paul is. This is not what Paul knows, although he knows a lot. It's who he knows. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us The ministry of reconciliation. And here's another key Greek word. God has reconciled us to Himself. The word is katalaso, reconciled. It literally means exchange. A word that's often used in classical Greek language, the language of the courts, to refer to marriage where reconciliation takes place. Hostility takes. Is exchanged for favor anger is exchanged for companionship war is exchanged for peace estrangement and loneliness for closeness and that's the meaning here because Paul knows Jesus. He's brought close, reconciled, and giving the privilege of helping others know Jesus, an agent of reconciliation in the lives of others. Look how he explains it. God was reconciling the world to himself, pulling us close, even though we deserve to be pushed away, not counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us the gospel, this message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And that's what my life's about, says Paul. And then he says, oh, how I want you to experience it too. Verse 20, I plead with you. I implore you. I beg you. Come home to the One who loves you. What is all this? Paul says, because Jesus knew me and loved me, Because Jesus invited me to know Him. I not only have a new view of me. I'm loved and valued and worthwhile. Not only does He reshape how I see other people. I see the possibilities of what they might become. But I know why I'm here. I know the reason I'm alive. I know the purpose of my life. I'm here to help you come to know Him too and to be drawn close to the God who welcomes you. So Paul would say, I met Jesus. I know Jesus. I've been loved by Jesus and my life has never been the same. And listen, friend. Maybe you're hearing this, but you'd say, your life is marked by instability and insecurity. You'd love to be solid and confident, but it feels like you're all by yourself and you're still struggling with, who am I? You need to know Jesus. To know not just the doctrine and facts about Jesus, but to personally Know Him. To know that the God of time and eternity, the God who created you and everything that exists, to know how passionately He loves you so passionately that He'd rather die than to go on without you. You need to experience that kind of love impacting your life. And you'll start out on a new life that is the most amazing life possible. Come to Him. You'll never be the same. Or maybe in your heart of hearts you know that you don't value people or respect people you use people you run them down to step up on their reputation you'd love to know that you're helping people but you're out for number one and you're sick of it now that you think about it because you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem in this world you so wanted to help people but you too just use them you need jesus to help you see with his eyes to make a transforming difference or maybe you're saying i need a reason for living i don't want to go on without knowing why god put me here and what it's all about i want to say it's not about what you know it's who you know and how the one you know puts your life together listen to me you may be in may have been in church all of your life maybe you can tell me all the bible stories and even wow me with what you know about doctrine and theology but i want to ask you do you have the power to live what you know You're only going to find that when you have an intimacy with Jesus through his spirit that allows you to do life in constant fellowship and conversation with Jesus. It will turn your life upside down and give you power to become what you could never be on your own. Do you hear the verse? If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old is gone. The new life spouts and grows. Paul says, that's my life, but it's for you, my friend, if you'll open up your life to Jesus. Whether you've ever done that before, I beg you, as Paul begs you, give your life to Jesus and just watch the new person you become. Can I tell you today about how knowing Jesus transformed the life of my best friend? Yeah, same guy who met so many famous people. Alcoholic, chemically addicted, probably sexually addicted. And I was there the night he gave his life to Jesus. And I watched the amazing change as I was privileged to disciple him over the next six months. And he's walking with Jesus today in ways that challenge my faith in his family. You know, before Jesus, his first marriage was already done. His alcoholism had built so much resentment that it had to come tumbling down. And I was there and cried with him the morning he had to sign the final papers to dissolve his marriage. Months later, he invited me to lunch with he and a woman that he was dating. Was she an interesting gal? She was a man-hating, angry former Catholic. And wow, did she have questions. And I got to be a part of leading her to Jesus. And since then, her daughter has come to Christ. And all five of his kids have come to Jesus. Then, either as teens or adults, they now know Jesus. And I'm telling you, life is transformed in that home. God is even pouring healing over his old life and giving that old life new meaning. There was a secret that nobody knew about him until John accepted Jesus. Way back in the 60s, He was living with a woman in California during his Navy days and they fathered a baby girl that they gave up for adoption on the day she was born. And I remember when he broke the news to me and said, Steve, if we prayed, do you think God could help me find her again? And through the most amazing set of miracles, really, they were reunited three weeks later on nationwide television. And Tracy and her husband and their daughter moved back into my friend's life, and even they have given their life to Jesus. You see, God can pour His great blessing over even the shameful stuff that you don't want to have to revisit in your past. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's even new about the old. And that can be so for you. Jesus would love to transform your view of yourself and correct your evaluation of others and give you a grand reason for living. It's not about how much you know. Have I said that enough this morning? It's really about do you know Him? And are you doing life with Him? Let's pray. Jesus, we know the doctrine of this, that human beings were created for fellowship with you. Our our chief reason for being is to know you and glorify you with our life and for all eternity. Theologically, we get that. Doctrinally, we get that. But we want to go beyond that. We want to live that. So thank you today for this great challenge from your word. Thank you for stretching us, for stripping us away from things that we have um, been distracted by, because we really just want you. Amen.